We've got to provide autonomy. We've got to give people that freedom. If we, if we did our job in clearly defining what's expected and clearly defining those roles, now we've got to set them free and let them do it. No one, no one likes to be micromanaged. And yet, one of the largest complaints people have about their, their management is they feel like they're being micromanaged. Well, if, if I don't like it and you don't like it, why do we continue to do it? Um, and a lot of it's a trust piece, and part of the trust is because we didn't define clearly on the front end what was needed. And so if we do that well, we then can set people free, and that means freedom to succeed, and here's the tough one, Ken, we also have to give people the freedom to fail. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, when we think about success in life, one of the components or critical elements in every single interaction is it involves people. So today's guest, Kyle Gorman, is going to talk to us about how do we manage people? How do we hire the right people? But how do we also lead them appropriately? And he's going to give us a four-step process that his company shares with us. So that being said, one of the things that Kyle talks about in the interview, and of course we couldn't agree more, is that we need to treat people uniquely. We need to understand the uniqueness of every single person. And that is one of the reasons that Consulting Resource Group actually even exists, and we do this podcast, is just the importance of understanding the uniqueness of ourselves, but also the people around us. And that was the precipice to creating the Personal Style Indicator. Now, since that time, the Personal Style Indicator is the number one personality tool in the marketplace as stated by participants. Once participants take it, they prefer it 80% of the time over anything else that they have ever taken. Now, with that, we have now created a brand new course on Why Aren't You More Like Me, my book, Why Aren't You More Like Me, which is really the extended understanding of our personal style indicator or personality model. So my encouragement is, is that you would think about that e-course, consider that, dive into that. We have five hours of videos in that just to kind of really go to the next level. And there was some research done. So do you know what? Only 2% of the population will realize the potential without it. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of the SOS audience and fan base. If you like what we're doing, please pass it on, share it. Uh, leave a positive comment in whatever platform you're listening on. And, you know, send us some comments of what you like about the different guests and it's always encouraging to us because as people consume these podcasts you're in the middle of sort of a vacuum out there and we don't know exactly what you're thinking so share that with us we love to hear from you so here's today's guest kyle gorman welcome to the secrets of success podcast i'm your host dr ken keys well all of us are looking to hire the right person have an, an awesome team optimize our leadership in whatever capacity, if it's in our family, if it's in our company, if it's in a volunteer group. And really today we have an expert about, you know, trying to have and find and acquire and develop the right people. And so he joins me all the way from Kentucky, Kyle Gorman. Kyle, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Ken. I really, really appreciate the opportunity to be here and to, uh, to speak with your audience. And I appreciate the invite. Well, you're welcome. And uh, Kyle, the name of your company is? We are Employer Blueprint. Employer Blueprint. So we'll get to some of those details in the websites later on the show. But as we do with Secrets of Success, we'd like to hear about people's journey. You know, what led you to do what you're doing? So give us a little bit of your background as far as you growing up as a kid and what kind of family did you have? Well, uh, I've got to admit, I was incredibly blessed. I have an amazing family. Uh, I'm the youngest of three boys, and uh, my brothers are, are a little bit older than me, five years and eight years older. So, you know, as adults, it's, it's not that big of a deal. But as kids, it was a pretty significant gap there. Uh, so I think many times my parents felt like they were sort of starting over at times with me. I mean, they were just kind of in a different stage of their life eight years after the first one. But I, I've been very blessed with amazing parents, and they've always been very supportive. Uh, you know, I was pretty active as a middle school and high schooler, and they were always at the events, and they were always there and around without being overbearing or over my shoulder. And so I was, it was nice. I had a little bit of independence, but uh, not, not so much as I could get mm. myself in too much trouble. But yeah, great family life growing up, for sure. So what did your, uh, what did your, what sort of the professions that your parents were in? 
Well, my, uh, both of my parents, most of my kind of growing up was, uh, both my parents were in education. Uh, my dad was a public school administrator. Uh, my mom was a private school teacher for years. And then um, my mom actually got into doing training and doing some software training and adult education and things like that, which ultimately led to her starting her own company. Uh, in the late 90s and uh, as we kind of get into that here in the next few minutes you'll see how that shaped my career but primarily you know in in the education space and about sharing with others and educating others so you come by your profession honestly yeah i would say so you know for quite a while i really thought even through college i thought my career path was going to be teaching at the college level and i thought that education was going to eventually kind of be my career path so although it technically is not by definition in reality that's still so much of what I do it's, I guess it's just sort of ingrained in me that, that idea of being able to share with others and educate others um, mm. it's just always been a part of who I am no excellent so when you now in high school were you into sports yeah I played, I played a few sports here and there you know I would say I was uh, not really great at anything but uh, I enjoyed being a part of uh, the teams. I enjoyed uh, just the camaraderie and the, the socialization that I got to experience um, around the teams. And so that also really shaped who I am. Even as an adult, I do a lot of coaching now and uh, youth coaching. I coach uh, you know, football and baseball and other things. And I'm a firm believer in the impact that those extracurricular activities, no matter what they are, whether it's, it's band or drama or, or sports, the impact that those extracurricular activities have on young adults and, and the, the lessons that we can learn uh, as we grow older because of those things. So I'm, I'm a huge mm. advocate for that for our young people. Yeah, obviously. And, and it's the kids that aren't involved in some of these things that sometimes get into trouble because they don't really have anything to do. So there's a lot of value in having that outlet. Yeah, having that outlet and having a good team of people around. And, um, you know, so often one of the things that we really learn is is doing things selflessly. And that's something that I'm, I'm a firm believer in from a leadership perspective as adults. But, you know, I coach middle school football and I've been doing that for several years. And, um, you know, we talk to our young men about this a lot that, uh, you know, when you get in trouble in school, that's a very selfless or it's a very selfish act because you're letting your team down because now you're in detention and not a practice. Um, when you get mad at someone on the field and, and you know, you push someone or you make an illegal hit, it's a very selfish act because you're, you're allowing your emotions to get in the way of what's best for the team and the people around you. And so being able to teach people the impact that our actions have on everyone else around us is so critically important. And we learn a lot of that through, you know, and again, the same thing. You, know, you look at marching band, you're out of step one place, it impacts the entire performance. Drama, you forget one line, it impacts an entire performance. So, yeah, I think it teaches a lot of uh, selfless behavior when we're part of these other activities as young adults. Yeah, agreed, agreed. So when you went to college, did you sort of head down this pathway of being trained as a teacher? Well, so my, my degree was actually from day one, I was in organizational communication. I didn't really know exactly what I wanted to do, but I loved uh, communication and I knew I kind of liked business of some sorts. And so I was in organizational communication, but I did actually start taking classes to head down the path of education. And at one point I thought that's what I was going to do. And so um, what I, uh, at one point, every, I took every class I could in education prior to having to get admitted into the College of Education. And, uh, and the main reason I was doing that is because I felt like my career path was going to be to go on, get my doctorate, and teach at the college level. And so, so I was trying to learn everything I could about education without actually being an education major. And uh, then the semester before I graduated, I met this young lady, and uh, there was just something that made me think that this was going to work out. And so my entire career path changed. And fortunately, it did. We've now been uh, married 14 years and have four kids. So fortunately, I made the right choice there. But, but it really kind of shifted me. And so from that point, I kind of switched gears completely into more of a business mindset instead of an education mindset. So uh, what did the relationship have to do with changing your sort of career direction, you think? Well, so my plan was um, I wanted to go down to, so as you had mentioned in the intro there, uh, I currently live in Kentucky. I actually grew up in Indiana, went to school in Kentucky, uh, went to college in Kentucky, and um, met my wife there, and she wanted to stay close to home. And um, 
my plan was to go to Texas and uh, I wanted to study at the University of Texas in Austin. Um, and so knowing that that was not the path that she was uh, interested in, uh, really, uh, again, just one of those things that recognized very early on that this was a very serious relationship and uh, had a future there. And so um, I had an opportunity, the company I was working with to kind of work my way through school, had an opportunity to transfer with them to be closer to her hometown. And so um, I took that transfer and kind of took that opportunity and just kind of through that shifted gears very quickly and said, okay, I need to maybe find a different career path um, because this relationship to me was more important than that, uh, than that journey that I had considered. So it really did kind of shape the future for me big time uh, over, the, over the coming oh, years. Oh, for sure. Well, a couple of things that come out of it. First of all, you said the, the company that you're working with, what were you doing for the company? What was the job? Well, I was in retail, and uh, I was fortunately able to, right after I graduated, transferred uh, to this other store with a national big uh, retail chain. And right after I got to the new store, an opportunity came up to get into their management uh, team. And so, fortunately, I, again, just feel kind of blessed because I know there were other people that had been with that store a lot longer that applied for that position. But uh, I was able to, to take on a management position there. And uh, a couple things I learned, one is that retail is not for me, but I really learned a lot about just kind of these fundamental principles of, of management. You know, I, I, in that environment, um, you know, I managed people from, that were my age, and you know, at that point I was fresh out of college. So I had a team of people that were uh, uh, my age up until people that were literally my grandfather's age. And um, so figuring out as a, as a 24-year-old, 23, 24-year-old kid, how to manage and lead in that environment was a real challenge. But I took it very seriously because I, I'd always felt like my skill was much more in um, management than it was any particular industry. And so mm. I knew retail wasn't for me and I, I made the shift from there over to a different environment. But but I really learned a lot in my short time in that retail management role. Okay. I'm going to come to that learning in a minute, but I want to mm -hmm. just back up. Of what lesson could you, you know, we're thinking about the SOS listeners, Secrets of Success listeners. Mm -hmm. What would you say to individuals who, are, who have these crossroad decisions between, okay, I want to follow my life dream to get my doctorate, teach at university, and then I have the love of my life, <laughs> wow. which now, of course, you have four kids. Uh, how did you separate the two where both of those were obviously important to you? What would you say to the listeners as far as what did, how did you process that to determine what decision to make? Yeah, gosh, you know, Ken, that's a great question. And I, and I don't know if I've ever thought about it. Um, I would say at that point in my life, I was probably too young and naive and stupid to even process it as much as it was I was following love. Um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure there are a million other stories out there of people that did the same thing and it didn't play out like mine did. So I don't know if there's a right or a wrong. But I will say this, I think this is the overarching theme for me in much of what I believe and, and even what I teach others is relationships are so incredibly important in our life. And whether that is the relationship like I have with my wife and with my kids or the relationships uh, that I have with my team members, uh, my colleagues and peers, um, when in doubt, trust relationship. And, and sometimes that's a hard thing to do because we've all been through situations where we don't feel like we can trust people anymore, but, mm. um, but there's, there's so much value in life and relationships. And, uh, I think especially as I get older and certainly as I have an opportunity to speak with mentors who are even at, at greater stages in their careers than I am, um, it's usually the relationships that they've created along the way that, that have really impacted them more than something that they've been able to kind of mark off on their resume. And, um, so Again, you know, it's hard for me to sit here and say, you know, well, if given the two, you've got a career path and you've got a relationship that, that you think may work out, that you've got to go with relationship. But I will say when in doubt, um, you know, we can learn so much. There's so much value in the relationships that we build in our lives uh, over the years. For sure. You might or might not be aware of the Harvard study that just came out last year, Kyle, that said the number one contributor to longevity was loving relationships. Mm-hmm. I agree with that 100% wholeheartedly, and we see that even in business leadership that, uh, you know, the, the best of leaders, and certainly those that we look up to and that we respect, 
are the ones that have taken the time to build a little bit of a relationship with us. It doesn't matter how much you know. It doesn't matter how, how great you are in your industry. Um, if you don't know how to relate to and work with and talk to people, uh, your success will be limited. And those relationships are critical to how successful we can be in any industry we're in. Mm-hmm. Well, it is interesting. You know, I'm, this is my 30th year in this space. And if we think about it, how many people who don't have those orientations or skills who are who are in senior leadership, it is and sometimes even shocking. And I, w- I want to come to that in a minute. But before I get there, you mentioned as a young 23-year-old, I learned some things as I started to work with these different people. At that young age, what were some of the things that you picked up that you want to share with the audience? Yeah, so, you know, I, I've ultimately, and, and kind of going back even further than that, I had my first uh, kind of quote real job. Um, meaning, you know, paid taxes and, and had a real job at 14 years old. And I remember even then looking at certain supervisors. Uh, I was a lifeguard at a big uh, theme park. And I remember even then, you know, thinking, there's certain people that I like working with and there's certain people I don't like working with. And generally it's the same. You know, generally it's all of us, you know, if I'm talking to five lifeguards, we could all point to the same one person that we all like working with and the same one person we don't like working with. And so I guess my mind just worked a little differently in that I wanted to understand why. What were those characteristics? Uh, so I didn't like to take those things at face value, but I wanted to understand what it was. And as I went through you know, high school and, and, and was in college and um, did the same thing. You know, I always had a job and as I was working, I always wanted to understand what is it about this person I like and this person that I don't. Why does the team respect that person and not respect that person? And so that was always more of a focus for me really than anything is I felt like that that leadership quality and of course, you know, back then and not that it was that long ago, but, um, you know, 15, 20 years ago, uh, the, the, the space of leadership is not really what it is now. Um, uh, where everybody's talking about that and the need to lead. You know, we were still just kind of coming off of that, that, uh, that bubble of, you know, you, you follow someone because they have a title, uh, not because they've actually invested in you. And uh, what I learned when I was in that retail environment and I took over management, one of the biggest things that I learned was the need to treat each person as individuals, that I had to have some, some like a fundamental management style but one of the key components of that was understanding each person is unique. And so I can't just say, I'm going to treat every person the exact same way. And, you know, and so to that point, you know, I had a couple of people that were working with me that were, that were my age and wanted my position and wanted to kind of follow in that, that same space. And then others that were literally my grandfather's age. And I had to treat them differently. I couldn't I couldn't just have a blanket approach to everything that I said and the way that I communicated to them. And that was a really valuable lesson that I sort of recognized, but actually got to put that into practice in that environment and how I communicate with people and how I have to think about them differently and treat them uh, unique to their uh, individual Mm -hmm. personality and their life circumstances. Yeah, as a company that has assessments in emotional intelligence and personality, we get that, Kyle, completely. And it's interesting, the word emotional intelligence or social intelligence or personal style intelligence now is foremost. And can I be conscious and aware? And there's a colleague, Tasha York, who wrote the book Insights, New York Times bestseller just this last year. And she really talked about self-awareness being the meta skill of the 21st century. So you showed even at your young age curiosity curiosity to kind of figure it out, to pay attention, to even notice. But I suspect there were other managers around you who were completely oblivious to this concept. <laughs> well, they, yeah, absolutely. And, um, and, and again, as someone who was curious about that, um, as, I, as I kind of grew into my own a little bit, I, I think I even had a greater understanding then, uh, could really maybe pinpoint the characteristics to say, I know exactly why no one wants to work with this particular person. And, you know, I was able to kind of pick out some of those characteristics. And that being a big, uh, you know, a big one right there, like they have no idea the way they're coming across whenever they say something to someone. I think one of the other big challenges that especially entry-level supervisors and managers make, but we see this, we see this with very high-level leaders as well, but especially in this entry-level space, I think sometimes 
we tend to forget what are we trying to accomplish. And, and what I mean by that, Ken, is you know, I actually just had a conversation the other day. I was headed into the grocery store, and I saw a young man that I had coached football. And he's now graduated high school. And I said, hey, how's it going? How are you liking it here? And he's kind of going into this story about a couple of the managers there. And he talks about this one in particular, and he said, you know, they come to us and they say, hey, you need to get outside and you need to get these cars, you need to get them inside. I need that done right now. And he said, gosh, you know, we just hate working for that person. And he said, now, we've got this other one, and he, he names the person by name. And he said, I don't have any problem going out and getting carts for that person. But whenever they come to us, they say, hey, would you mind coming and helping me? We've, we've, uh, we've got a lot of carts out in the parking lot. We need to try to get them in. Would you... Would you mind running out there and just taking three or four minutes to bring in a few cards? I'd really appreciate that. And it's amazing. The, the end goal is the same between those two people. We need carts picked out of the parking lot. Now, you can put whatever end goal you have in there, you know, from a multi-million dollar deal down to, you know, picking up a piece of trash on the ground. End goal is the same. The way that you communicate that to your team is completely different. And that's what makes the difference as to whether they want to help you, work with you, be around you or not. But you have to have that self-awareness to understand, here's my end goal. What's the best way to communicate that to get somebody actually to do what I'm asking them to do? I think that's one of the biggest things that makes the difference between a really good leader and someone that just happens to have a title in an organization. Yeah, and a lot of people don't even know that they don't know that they don't know. So they're just like, right. unconsciously incompetent, which, mm -hmm. of course, that, you know, that ranking or vernacular has been around for years. So thank you, Kyle, yeah. for that. Now, with that, you are in this position. What happened after the national retailer? Mm -hmm. Well, so I knew I wanted to get into a corporate environment. Um, I just really, uh, even within that retailer, I started looking at what does it look like to get maybe on the corporate side of their business. And um, uh, again, my wife, uh, at that point, we got married uh, shortly after um, we made that move and I was with that company. And I knew that, that relocating across the country probably was not in our future. And so I wanted to get into a corporate environment and have the opportunity to get a foot in the door, took a pay cut and, uh, and a bit of a demotion, if you will, as it would look on a resume potentially, um, to get my foot in the door with uh, a company that was in our market that was a, uh, in the finance industry. Uh, they, they provided financing to individuals and to companies. And so I was in their kind of commercial financing space and stepped in as sort of an assistant supervisor in a call center, but it gave, it put a, gave me a foot in the door of this organization and uh, was able to kind of work my way through that over a few years, getting a few promotions uh, every you know, 12 to 16 months. And then um, through the course of that company, we went through the 2008 uh, debacle that impacted uh, us especially as a mm -hmm. finance company. I get and, it. Uh, so from there, moved over to another company that was still in the finance industry, but we managed uh, credit portfolio, credit card portfolios for banks around the country and uh, had an opportunity to lead an account executive team there and um, really, really enjoyed that. Uh, loved the company, loved the industry, loved the team and the company culture there was just unbelievable. But, uh, but as things go, they eventually... Um, you know, were purchased and acquired by another company. And uh, before that shut down, I could kind of see the writing on the wall and, and the company culture was shifting in a direction I was not comfortable with and realized it was time for me to move on to something else. Mm. An example of a larger company even having a poorer culture than what you had, had sort of walked into before. Yeah, yeah. We had an amazing culture there. and uh, Really... You know, it was, it was interesting. I'll tell you a quick story about that, Ken. My interview process there was pretty extensive. And I remember sitting in there one day, and uh, as I'm going through the interview process, and it started with kind of a panel interview with all of the top leaders of the company. And then from there, each one of them had about an hour with me. And so I went individually with them. And so it was an exhausting day, especially for a natural introvert, sitting there and just, you know, getting drilled and answering questions. And, but I, I had my own questions, of course, and I, I wanted to know if this was the right place for me. One of the questions that I asked every single one of them is, why here? You have, you have skills. You have a unique set of skills that have, that have given you the opportunity to work in this industry at the level that you are. Why do you get up every day and want to come into this company in particular as opposed to taking those skills elsewhere? And every single one of them, at some point in their answer to that question, made a comment about the people that they love the people, they love the leadership team, they love the people there. And I thought, it's really 
interesting to me that they all would come back to that. You know, it wasn't just one or two. Every single one of them mentioned that mm -hmm. at some point in answering that question. And so it was really intriguing for me as someone who loved the kind of that leadership mindset and, and understood that how important the people were to that and the relationships were to that. So it really kind of got me on the hook to say, gosh, I want to work here to find out what it is about the people. And, uh, and they, it was proven right. It was really an amazing place to work. They work hard, and I, I honestly, to this day, I've never seen a group of people, a company of people, work as hard as they did there, uh, as we did there. But there was just such a mutual respect across the company in all departments uh, that made it enjoyable. And, and so even though you may be working 60 hours, um, you're working with people you cared about that makes such a big difference. Mm -hmm. so How large was really the employee, employee base, uh, Kyle? We had about 300 employees in that group, in that company, and then it was purchased by a um, investment firm who uh, was, was trying to uh, do a public offering, and so they started growing through acquisition, and um, our custom model to our clients just wasn't a good fit for them, which I completely understand from the business perspective, I get it. But at that point, it became very much bottom line focused and not employee focused, and that just that wasn't quite uh, the comfort zone that I had. That wasn't mm -hmm. my, my area. Interesting how when you are focused on bottom line, you actually give up some of the bottom line by only be focusing on the bottom line. Isn't that a little ironic? Yeah, it really is. And it, it was very frustrating to, to see it and to experience it. But um, again, you know, I understood it. I didn't like it, but I understood it. But it became very evident to me that it was time for a shift. It was time for me to, to move on and find something else. So I didn't need to be somewhere that I didn't fit culturally with the organization. Right. So Kyle, uh, all of that, and now you have your own firm, which you started back in 2013. Share with us your journey to start that company and, and why you did it and what was sort of driving that. You know, as I had mentioned earlier, uh, back in the late 90s, my mom started this company doing, doing software training and adult, adult education. And as this company that I was with, uh, I recognized that there wasn't really going to be the, the long-term future for me there, um, started looking at what other options there would be. And one of the things that I did, I was kind of talking to my parents about it. And because of my business experience, uh, I would sometimes help my, my mom with her company just you know, if it's time to negotiate a contract, I'd give her some advice on how to negotiate that or some things to write in and, and some things to look at within the organization. And so um, she was never really a business person, would admit that today. She, she had a business out of necessity to have a job. And, um, and so the discussion came up to say, what about maybe me coming in and kind of helping create a foundation to what this business actually is and either, you know, setting up a succession plan or setting up a plan to maybe sell at some point to allow her to eventually exit. And so we agreed that I would come in for six months. Uh, at the end of that six months, if I, I didn't think I had any desire to work in small business. I wanted corporate. I, wanted, I loved the corporate environment, and I wanted to keep climbing that corporate ladder. And so I said, I don't know if small business is really for me, so I, let's, that's a six-month trial. And, um, and I don't know if me working with my parents or them working for me, however you want to put that, is a good thing either. So we agreed on six months. And I, I did that for that six-month period. We agreed it's going well. We're going to continue to do this. And part of what I was doing was looking at what's next. Kind of what's, the, what's the next plan? Well, one of the things that I realized we were very good at was we were really good at finding people with unique skill sets that were somewhat diverse. And what I mean by that, Ken, is uh, as an example, in software training, we had to find people that could understand the technical side of these very intricate software, proprietary software systems for large companies, but yet they had to have the people and the training skills to be able to go in and actually work with others and share that with them, which mm -hmm. are generally kind of, you know, two different sides of the brain. And it, it's, it's hard for to sure. find people with those, uh, that, those combined skills. And so I, I'm looking at that and I'm saying, we're really good. We don't seem to ever have an issue finding the people that we need. Um, you know, I wonder if, if smaller businesses could use that same type of skill set that we've created here. And so that's what ultimately led to a model. I spent about a year really researching and then trying to figure out what that would look like and uh, creating a model and then ultimately launched uh, what became uh, originally with Gorman Recruiting. And then uh, as we've kind of grown into things beyond just simply recruiting, but also helping with the management and the leadership and the onboarding um, has become the employer blueprint. 
And so that's what ultimately led to, to who we are now is just helping them in their company and then seeing well, we've got this skill and we understand how to do that. Maybe we could go out and help other small businesses do the same thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So when you think about uh, individuals and what um, you were doing that was unique, what was, what was it that you were doing that caused you to find these people with both sides of the, uh, both sides of that? I think that the thing that, that hit us most, uh, if I were to break it down into just two things, it's this. One, we look more for transferable skills than we did specific skills. Um, Give the audience so an example. One of our best trainers was a, uh, a travel agent. She didn't have experience in technology or in software or in training for that matter. But she had great people skills. She was very detailed. She understood how to navigate multiple software systems. And so we were able to take these skills that she had, this personality that she had, mm-hmm. and, and, and we were able to take that and put it into the industry that we needed it. And that, that if people hear nothing else than this, it's pay attention to people's transferable skills because there is not an industry out there that can't be taught. There's not a skill out there that can't be taught. But we oftentimes overlook people in that, in that interview process or in that vetting process because we look at their resume and we say, oh, well, they don't have any experience in the industry. And so we move on from them. But really, they don't have experience in the industry, but look at the skills that they do have. And I'll give you another real quick example. This has happened in the recruiting space specifically. One of our clients was a, um, or is a, uh, a small kind of local retail company. And um, one of the people that got hired with them had uh, worked front desk at a gas station for five years. And they were a little concerned when we brought them. They said, what skills does this person have? Well, as we got to know this person, one, she spent five years at a gas station as a clerk. That shows some commitment because that's not exactly a glamorous job. Mm-hmm. But the other thing was she had some amazing relationship skills because she, she worked mornings, and so she had these really good relationships she had built, she had built with the regulars that were coming in, and she got to know the things that they liked and didn't like, and she, she built these, you know, she would have these conversations with people, and so she was able to build relationships in a 30-second interaction every day. That's not, a, that's not an incredibly easy thing to do, and so when we took that skill and we transferred it into this retail environment where they were a very relationship-oriented sales model, it worked swimmingly because she was able to come in and do the same thing. They come in, you know, a customer comes in and you've got about 60 seconds to build a rapport with them before you're gonna sell them a thousand dollar piece of equipment. And she was able to do that. And so it's looking at those transferable skills. What is it about this person that we can take and adapt it to our, uh, our company? And so that's the first one, those transferable skills. And then the other is the personality. And our, our to this day, the focus of our vetting and interview process is we want to know who they are. What's the personality? And is it going to fit well with an organization? Because anybody can match a job description to a resume. But we want to match a personality to a company culture because that's where you find long-term success. And that's where mm-hmm. employer and employee are going to be most satisfied in the decision. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, when you think about your system now, and you know, one of the things you talked about in your submission was around the four principles that leaders really need to embrace. What are some of those principles, if you want to share that with the audience uh, today around? And and when we think about leadership, leadership isn't just in the business context. I mean, this has to do with volunteerism and it has to do with personal relationships at home as well as a parent, as a Mm -hmm. significant other. What are those four that you really have distilled down that you feel that are important? Yeah, and, and I, I want to mention that comment that you made there is spot on. These four principles, put it in any aspect of your life. Think about it as a parent. Think about it as a volunteer. Think about it as, um, as a coach. Think about it as, um, as uh, you know, from a business perspective. The four principles are the same. It's how you adapt them is going to be unique. But, um, but basically, we, we break this down into these four things, and they're in order for a reason. And, you know, we talk about definition, autonomy, sociability, and recognition. And so whenever we look at definition, basically what we're saying is we need people to understand what success and failure look like. We need to understand how they fit into an organization. Um, they need to understand how to get there. Like, What's the roadmap to be successful? 
And so from a business perspective, we want them to know this is your high-level role, and then we're going to break that down a little further and say um, this is what success will look like if you hit these metrics. This is the roadmap to get there. We're going to create some goals for you. And then these are, the, these are the repeatable actions that if you do these things every day, week, month, whatever they may be, that you're going to be able to hit those goals and therefore be successful and therefore fulfill your role. But so we want to define what that looks like. And to your point, you can easily put that into parenting. You know, if we don't tell kids what's expected, then why are we surprised when they fail our expectations? And the same holds true for, for people in our business. If we don't define for them what's expected and what success looks like, how can we be surprised when they, when they fail to meet those expectations over a period of time? Mm. But, but the next piece of that is we've got to provide autonomy. We've got to give people that freedom. If we, if we did our job in clearly defining what's expected and clearly defining those roles, now we've got to set them free and let them do it. No one, no one likes to be micromanaged. And yet, one of the largest complaints people have about their, their management is they feel like they're being micromanaged. Well, if, if I don't like it and you don't like it, why do we continue to do it? Um, and a lot of it's a trust piece, and part of the trust is because we didn't define clearly on the front end what was needed. And so if we do that well, we then can set people free. And that means freedom to succeed. And here's the tough one, Ken. We also have to give people the freedom to fail because that's where the real lessons are going to be learned. Um, so we've got to give people the opportunity. We've got to give them that freedom to fail occasionally and be able to get back up again. And we've got to be there as a great leader to help them get back up, brush off the bruises, and move on. But that autonomy piece is, is critical to making this work and making someone feel like, um, you trust them. Mm. I, suspect, then, I suspect yeah, that's one of the most difficult things for especially small business owners to do. Oh, my gosh. It is, it is incredibly difficult. You know, the, the, the basic thought process is no one can do it as well as me. And the truth is, you're right. They probably can't. Now, some people can do certain things better than you. And if you've hired properly, that's what you've done is you've, you've, you've brought in people to fill those gaps where you have some weaknesses. But, but my, my thought is always this. If someone can do something 80% as well as you, let them do it, and then you go do something else that's a high value for your organization. And so for small business owners, this is an incredibly difficult thing, especially if they, were, if they bootstrapped. If they started this thing from nothing, it's hard to let these pieces go. But if I'm able to let this piece go and I'm able to go focus on something else, how much more can I grow my business? How much more successful can we as an organization be? And so you're right, it is very difficult. And, it, it, and that's one of the reasons we kind of talk about them as being disciplines, because you've got to be disciplined to do it. Otherwise, you turn around and you've had four people in the same position in the last three years and none of them have worked out. It may not be their fault. It may be yours because mm -hmm. you did not set them up to succeed early on. I remember I was a consultant to the auto industry for a decade, uh, Kyle, and there was this one dealership had a 200% turnover in the sales team. And I finally went to the dealer principal and he says, there's only one consistent element of this whole picture. That's, right. <laughs> That's you. That's right. And so you're a terrible, terrible boss. So yeah. Uh, yeah. I get that. I get that. And I, I'm shortening a, an hour-long conversation into that uh, comment. Yeah. So if I have definition, yeah. which is interesting because we have another model called expectation management mm -hmm. and clarity up front is so important. Autonomy think, or giving yeah. people you know, the opportunity to kind of engage. What's number three? So number three is sociability. Um, and this is one that people don't oftentimes think about as a leader because we, we look at those tangibles. Um, you know, autonomy can be a bit of a tangible in that we're, you know, we're making an intentional effort to kind of step back or, um, but sociability is very intangible, but it's so important to our overall uh, health and satisfaction. And basically that goes back to that relationship thing that we talked about earlier. It's one of the key principles that we have to focus on. As leaders, we not only need to tolerate it um, or accept it, I believe we need to engage in the sociability of our workplace. And what that means is, um, you know, using the, the kind of proverbial water cooler conversation, we don't just walk by that water cooler conversation, roll our eyes and move on. It means we actually go engage in that conversation. And, you know, uh, Ken, you probably know this better than most, you know, studies and research have shown now that that, that interaction, that social interaction, uh, even a five minute social interaction does, has greater benefits to our mental health and our satisfaction in the workplace than a 15 minute break even though that's sort of the, the quote, the standard. 
I'm going to give mm-hmm. you a 15-minute break. Well, a 15-minute isolated break is not nearly as beneficial and refreshing as a five-minute social interaction. And the other thing that this does, and this is why I think it's so important, and it goes back to that, that corporate environment that I was telling you about where people just really loved working with each other and it was such a, a, team, uh, a team environment, is because if I know, if, if you and I have built a relationship in the workplace and I know who you are, I know about your family and your kids, then whenever there's a problem or an issue, it's not a burden to me to help you. Now I'm doing it because I, I like you and I appreciate what you do for us and our organization. I'm helping a friend, I'm not just filling in for a colleague. And so it creates a cohesiveness in the work environment that we can't get without those relationships. And the same holds true for the leader in the organization. If they have engaged and they really understand who these people are and they built a relationship with them, then when they are, they are performing their role, they're not just doing it because that's what the boss told them to do. They're doing it because they understand and respect the leader of the organization and they want to do what's right by them. So this sociability component can be a difficult one because it feels unproductive. But in reality, it's incredibly productive over the long term by building these healthy relationships in the workplace. Hmm. We have a leadership skills assessment, Kyle, and, one, and there's two sections in it. One, or There's five, but there's two that really link into this. One is interpersonal skills. The other one is really coaching and counseling skills. And it's interesting how few people actually have this emotional intelligence or this, even this component of being likable, right? And, yeah. you know, I, let's create the word likability. And since you created <laughs> sociability and, yeah. and just even basic questioning skills, I don't know if this has ever happened to you and your wife, Kyle, where you've gone out to a social event and the whole evening, not a single person has ever asked, Kyle, how are you doing? Right. So this skill set, this social skill set of inquiring and asking questions and paying attention to the person and listening to their responses, it seems to sort of evaporated in this culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, you, you, that's exactly right. And I, you know, I, I'm not a researcher, so I certainly can't speak to exactly why that is. I, I have to believe that uh, technology and social media has played a, a big part of that because we're able to. Uh, I'm going to use this term loosely and, and with uh, proverbial quotes around it, but we're able to socialize online without ever interacting. And I, I think that that's, that's played a, a key role in that. I think we sometimes forget how to socialize and uh, we forget how to um, have uh, empathy and, and compassion for other people because, um, because everything we see about other people is distant. And so mm-hmm. it becomes difficult for us to really engage with other people. But, you know, you talk about a way to decrease turnover. I mean, that's an amazing way to decrease turnover. If people in the workplace have relationships with each other, then, it, then whenever they have another opportunity to go make an extra $10,000 a year, they're not just going, they're not just leaving for $10,000 a year. They have to leave the people that they know and love and mm-hmm. care about and, and then go to this great unknown of people they don't know. Well, there's some loyalty that comes along with that. And the same holds true for the leader in the organization. There's that loyalty because, well, this person cares about me. You know, they really helped me out in a trying time. We didn't know about the trying time unless you built a relationship with them. Mm-hmm. Well, I forget what the, the actual percentage is, Kyle, but uh, there is a, a correlation between if I have a good friend in the company, the likelihood of me staying yes. is highly increased. And I just forget what the number is. but. Like you yeah. said, relationships yeah. are important and they, they affect us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't remember what that percentage is either, but you're right. And that's one of the, uh, that, that's a very kind of standard question in job satisfaction surveys. Do you have a, a best friend at work? Do you have someone that you can confide in and talk to? Yeah, that's incredibly important. But you know, where, where it becomes difficult for leaders is when they experience that interaction. And this is one of the reasons I say engage in it. Don't just accept it and tolerate it. Because imagine this scenario, and again, I'll go to that water cooler concept, but you know, people are standing around at the water cooler, the coffee maker, um, they're standing around in somebody's office on a Monday morning, and they're, they're shooting the breeze about their weekend. Well, if you just walk by and roll your eyes and move on, well, you're just a jerk that went on into your office. But if you hang out and you socialize, you talk a little bit, and you carry on that conversation, one, not only are you building rapport and relationship, but what happens after five, seven, ten minutes whenever you say, well, hey, folks, this has been good. I'm glad we had a chance to catch up. i got a few things i got to get done this morning, so I'm heading back to my office. If you, as the leader in the organization, do that, what are they going to do? 
mm -hmm. and get back to work. And so you actually have more control over it by engaging in it. So it's, it's sort of twofold. You've built a relationship, you've built a rapport, but you also prevent it from becoming unproductive by engaging in it and being a part of it as well. And you find out what's going on in people's lives. You know, if everything's a secret, then, yeah. then you're not shocked by certain things that, that occur. So what's mm -hmm. item number four, Kyle? Yeah. So we have definition, so, we have autonomy, we have sociability. What's four? Well, the fourth one is recognition. And, uh, you know, this is what kind of brings it all full circle. If we define these things on the front end, then how are we going to calibrate it? We're going to calibrate it through recognition. We're going to recognize people for a job well done. Sometimes we're going to recognize people for a job done, even if it's not incredibly well. Um, and, and I think that's one of the misnomers about recognition is they think, well, we only recognize when you go above and beyond. Well, that's not the purpose of recognition. The purpose of recognition is to keep people on the right track. So sometimes we have to recognize someone just because they did the job bare minimum as it was expected, because that's what's going to keep them moving forward. So if we define these things on the front end, if someone comes in on the very first day and we say, this is what's expected of you and these are your goals, and then we never talk to them again about that, we don't recognize them for anything, and then we come around to review time, and then we sit down and say, well, you didn't hit this mark, you didn't hit that mark, you didn't do that but we never recalibrate it. We never recognize them for anything. Well, that's kind of our fault. And so this recognition piece is, is really designed to continue to kind of polish up that definition uh, mm -hmm. principle that we had on the front end. And so each person, we're gonna recognize them differently. And this is the key to recognition, I believe, is you've gotta understand what their preferred method is. Because some people want public recognition, meaning I want you to tell the team, I want it to post it on social media that I did a great job. I want you to you know, write up an article in the paper and tell everybody about it. I want it in the company newsletter. And others, they don't want that. In fact, they'd be embarrassed by it. And so what they might want is just a one-on-one, -on -one, hey, good job, I noticed it and I appreciate it. And where we as leaders can mess up is when we get that wrong with someone. Because if the purpose of recognition is to keep them, is, is to create repeatable behaviors. I, I recognize you for this behavior, therefore you're going to perform that behavior again. Well, if we don't recognize them properly in the right way that they prefer, then what we can actually do is prevent them from repeating that behavior because they don't want your form of recognition again. So we have to be really careful with that, but, um, but this recognition piece is what kind of ultimately calibrates this back to the definition piece from the, from the beginning. Mm -hmm. For sure. So with that, we just have a few minutes left here, sir. Boy, the time just kind of flies right along, Kyle. <laughs> um, if you were to kind of summate and just have a, a summary of a couple of things both people do and don't do that would really kind of bring it together in your experience now having your company for a few years that you see out there. Um, and before I go into that, just to make sure that people find out how to, to contact you, what are your sort of contact websites, Kyle? Well, you can check out our site, uh, employerblueprint.com. Um, you can also check out some information at kylegorman.com. That has some, some, some specifics about some of the things that I coach on or, um, you know, if you're looking for someone to, to speak at an event that you have coming up, I'm happy to entertain that as well. So those are the two main places, employerblueprint.com, kylegorman.com. Obviously, I'm on all the social media sites. I'd love to connect on LinkedIn. I share a lot of resources there. And then um, our podcast is uh, employerblueprintpodcast.com. And, of course, we're also on iTunes and all of the normal places. Wherever you happen to get your podcast, we're there mm. as well. We, uh, we're able to kind of share uh, some information on team building and company culture and scalability and things like that. Okay, awesome, Kyle. Thank you for that. So, Kyle, if you were to just kind of summarize all this wisdom that you've acquired over the years and start thinking about what people should do or not do beyond what you've shared already for, with the audience, what would that be for us? One thing I, I think that is important for people to understand, and this is kind of back to the talent acquisition space where we fall. Um, I touched on it earlier, but hire people that don't do what you do. I think one of the biggest mistakes I see, especially in the small business world, is People want to clone themselves, and they'll come to us and say, well, I need another version of me. And you really don't. Um, that would be terrible for your business. You need someone that complements uh, your weaknesses. And so be very mindful of that. Don't go try to find people that are exactly like you. 
be self-aware enough to recognize and understand where your strengths are, where your weaknesses are, and then uh, look to identify people mm-hmm. that can complement those weaknesses. That's, that's a big one. Um, and then the other piece that I think I can't uh, over, uh, you know, over um, um, discuss is that autonomy piece. When you bring in good people, if you make the right hires and you bring good people to the organization, set them free. Let them go do their job. And um, if it's not exactly the way you were doing it, just because it's not the way you would do it doesn't mean it's wrong. It just means it's different. And so let people go do the job. And you'll be amazed at what people can accomplish when you give them the opportunity to accomplish. And so mm-hmm. um, those are the two things that, that you know, I haven't really talked about here today, but I want to make sure people understand as they leave here because it can make such a huge difference in our personal success and and our freedom as business leaders by being able to do those things, hiring the right people and then setting them free. Well, well, our time's already up, Kyle. Where did it go away? I, I know, flies by when you're having fun. Well, Kyle, thank you very much for spending the time to be on the show with us today. Absolutely. Thank you again for the invite and the opportunity to, uh, to share with your audience. I, I just uh, I hope that they take some, some good information and we're able to reflect on it. But thank you so much for the opportunity. Oh, you're welcome. Well, SOS listeners, and when we think about when we think about success in life, the four steps that Kyle's talked about, those are critically important. I mean, are we clear? Do we have a definition? Autonomy, as we've talked about a couple of times, is do you give people freedom to kind of get out there? Sociability, are you even likable? I mean, who likes to work for somebody they dislike? And recognition, do I spend the time just to kind of acknowledge the effort and work that an individual has done? So as always, if you like what we're doing here at SOS, please share, pass it on, let other people know about it. Leave a positive comment on any or the platform that you're listening on. Thank you for listening to Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Thanks for exploring the secrets of success with us. If you want to keep the momentum going, log on to crgleader.com. Scroll to the bottom and sign up for our inspirational emails. You can also take your success to the next level by following us on Facebook and Twitter and connecting with Ken on LinkedIn. We hope you have a great week and look forward to you joining us next time for the Secrets of Success podcast with Dr. Ken Keyes.